and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So we've been journeying together in this Advent season. Advent very simply means counting down to the arrival of something significant. And we are counting down the arrival in Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary in the city of David, Bethlehem. We've talked about expectation. We've talked about preparation in this Advent season. We've talked about justice our partnership with Azarone, and today we're talking about joy. I grew up in church, and so I heard my pastor preach a million sermons. And it's funny, you know, you forget probably 95% of everything that you hear at church, but you just remember a few very specific sermons, a few very specific sentences. And one of the sentences that I remember my pastor uh, saying just one time as I was growing up, I don't remember if I was young or a teenager or somewhere in between, I remember him saying uh, that you will never have more joy uh, than, he was kind of uh, challenging us, than if you went and bought groceries for a family that needed them and anonymously dropped them off on the front porch, rang the doorbell, and ran away. He said, you'll never have more joy than you would in that moment as you're running away. So we're talking about joy today. So I thought I would, would just test him and see if, if it was true. So last night, I went to the grocery store, uh, and there's a family that we know. They're an amazing family. They don't need financial uh, 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 things. I mean, they can go and buy their own grocery, but they've just stepped into a, an amazing season of ministry. And so I thought, you know what? It'd be helpful if people just dropped groceries off to me, even if I could afford them. I love to not pay for stuff. And so uh, I went to the grocery store and I bought us some groceries and whatever I bought for us, I bought for them. So bread and milk and, you know, all the things that you might need. And I threw some candy in there just because who doesn't love candy? And, and so I pulled my truck up. It, it's kind of late at night and, uh, and I can't, you know, carry all the groceries. And so I dropped them off in their yard and then I go and hide my truck. And then I walk back to the groceries. I put them on their front porch and I ring the doorbell four times and I run away as fast as I can. And I hide in the dark where I can see them come out on the porch but where they can't see me, I hope. And uh, honestly, as I'm running away, I'm feeling this is really, really fun. And it reminds me of the vandalism that I used to do when I was a teenager. So if you need to spice up your life a little bit, but you don't want to go to jail or pay a fine, drop off groceries, it's a good plan. So I'm hiding in the dark behind a tree and I watch them come out and they fly out. And thankfully, God made me incredibly athletic. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, because they barely got away and they fly out the front door, but they, they pass right over the groceries on the front porch. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? They're looking for the vandal uh, who has just been so rude uh, to probably wake some of their very young children up in the night. They don't even notice the groceries. And I'm thinking, this is how it's going to go for me. I'm trying to do something kind and they're only going to take it as, you know, a, a, an act of aggression. Um, and, uh, and, and so they're looking and they're get their phone flashlights out. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get busted by iPhones. You know, <laughs> thankfully those don't go very far. And they're looking and literally they look for me for about five minutes. And, uh, finally they turn around and they see all the groceries there. And it, it, it was a cool feeling. It was, uh, my pastor was right. I'm not sure that I felt uh, that kind of rush of joy 
in a long time. And it wasn't a huge offering. It wasn't an extravagant gift. It was just a simple act of kindness done anonymously, but it filled my heart with joy. Our culture, and forget our culture, sometimes I, I, I get confused between the difference between joy and enjoyment. Enjoyment is easy, I think. In fact, it's always offered to us. But joy seems like it should be different. As you read the Bible, it seems, it seems different. Uh, enjoyment is great. We all want it, but it's light like a feather. And any simple wind can come and blow it away. But as you read the scripture, when the Bible talks about joy, and from the scripture, when God teaches us about joy, it's like it weighs a thousand pounds. It weighs a ton, it's heavy, it's hefty, it's strong, it, it doesn't blow away. In fact, the scripture says that joy should be ours, even in our worst days. That it's something supernatural, it comes from the spirit of God living inside of us. Enjoyment is easy to find, all you have to do is just turn on the TV and you will have hours of pathways in front of you to get enjoyment. But how do we find joy? And how do we secure it? Thankfully, Advent season comes and helps us. Luke chapter two, Jesus has been born in verses one through seven. And in verse eight, this is what happens next. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in snuggly cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God, saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they'd been told. So the shepherds there in their fields at night. The shepherds were working class citizens of first century Israel. And they're watching at night for a few reasons. They don't want their sheep, their herd to escape. They don't want wild animals to come. They don't want thieves to come. Uh, the shepherds were, uh, they were a necessary part of society in first century Israel, but they were the necessary part that just blends in. They were background players among the people of Israel at that time. And the angel of the Lord comes. The angel of the Lord in the scripture was sent uh, to speak for God and to give specific assignments, which happens, uh, both happen here to the shepherds. The angel speaks on God's behalf and gives the shepherds a specific assignment. And it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Uh, it was probably bright light, maybe even smoke, a, a cloud, whatever it was, it terrified them. So it's a holy moment, but it is a significant moment that scares and startles 
the shepherds and the angel says, don't be afraid. And why does he say, don't be afraid? For look, verse 10, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So he says, you don't need to be startled. You don't need to be scared because I'm bringing you good news. And this good news is gonna cause great joy. So we're talking about joy today. Whatever follows next is gonna be our pathway to securing joy for ourselves. A difference between enjoyment, this is joy. It weighs a thousand pounds, not as light as a feather. And this is what the angel says, the good news of great joy is. Today, a savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. So two parts of that good news cause great joy. A savior has been born who is Christ the Lord or Messiah the Lord. So savior and Lord. Now savior would have been a buzzword in the ears of these shepherds around 4 BC, scholars guess. They knew they needed salvation. They knew they needed at least two kinds of salvation. First, they knew they needed political salvation. And second, they knew they needed religious salvation. They needed political salvation because, as you know, we've talked about it many times at church, Rome was ruling the world at that time. And at the top of the pyramid uh, of the power structure of the Roman Empire was the Caesar of Rome. And underneath the Roman Caesar, uh, as you can see on the screen here uh, next to me, uh, was the Roman Senate. So we have the Caesar, we have the, the Senate, and then as they would expand their empire, they would send out regional governors. So these are regional governors carrying the authority of Rome. Uh, 30 years later, after this event that we're reading about today, the regional governor of Israel and the surrounding area is Pontius Pilate. So they'd have these regional governors, but one of their strategies for keeping peace in the Roman empire was let's use local leadership to be the front line because we'll have more favor if we're in the background. And so they would set up local leadership. So in Israel, around 4 BC, when Jesus is born, there are two avenues of that local leadership. The first one is Herod the Great. And you have know Herod the Great from the Christmas stories. He was an insane maniac. He killed his uh, own children. He killed his favorite wife. He killed his mother-in-law. He was completely insane. But he was really king of Israel at that time. Uh, he wasn't even uh, that Jewish. He had some Jewish blood up his family tree, but he himself was not really a Jewish person. The Roman uh, Empire really just kind of laid their hand on him and said, you know, you're local, and so you're in charge. You're, you're gonna be the king. Uh, the other aspect of that local leadership was the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was uh, made up of uh, ruling families in and around Jerusalem. They were wealthy families. They had old money. They had old influence. They were... Um, those, the cream of the crop that rose to the top, and they would come together as a council and they would help make decisions in partnership with Herod the Great, but it was this very loose alliance. This is the structure. But the people of Israel, they knew this wasn't right because in the Old Testament, in their history, God had said that it should be a descendant of David who should be on the throne of Israel. Rome shouldn't be in power and as it flows down to them, there shouldn't be a regional governor in power and it shouldn't be Herod the Great. He, he's not a descendant of David and it shouldn't be the Sanhedrin. It should be the man that God favors, a descendant of David. We should be able to rule ourselves. We should have one of our own people in charge. So when they hear the word savior, they know they need this kind of rescue. They also knew they needed religious rescue. You go back into the Old Testament. Uh, you see this timeline up here on the screen. 
Uh, Solomon builds a temple, builds a house for God. And it's this amazing building. In fact, at that time, it was unrivaled on planet Earth in its beauty and uh, majesty. And they have this dedication uh, for the temple and they pray and they make sacrifices. And it says the glory of God, the same glory of God that came around those angels came that day when they dedicated the temple. And there's smoke uh, of glory uh, that just automatically starts filling up the temple. And it's so thick and it's so bright that the priests working inside the the temple, they have to leave. They, they can't minister. That's how much glory was there. And when God's people would come to the house of God, when they would come to the temple, they would do their religious acts, but they could see the, the evidence of God right there. They could see his glory. They knew that God lived here. Of course, he was uh, owning everything in the world, but he had placed his presence by his grace there in Jerusalem. But Solomon, he lost his way And he lost his mind and he ended up following a bunch of false gods instead of the one true God. And so God said, I'm going to actually split your kingdom after you pass away. And that's what happens. Um, His son loses uh, the kingdom of Israel and now Israel becomes two. It becomes Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And instead of righteous, godly kings, they're led by these wicked kings, these pagan kings. And God sends prophets and he says, you got to stop, you got to stop. And they don't stop. And he sends more prophets because he's He's grace giving to us, isn't he? And, and, and they don't stop and don't stop. Eventually, um, Babylon and Assyria come and the Assyrians come for the north and Babylonians come from the south and God uses these neighboring nations to judge his own people and they enter this period called the exile and a lot of citizens go to Babylon, some go to Assyria, but everywhere they look, they're not their own people anymore. Well, after a few generations, they're allowed to return back to Israel And so they come back and they start rebuilding and Nehemiah rebuilds the wall and Ezra oversees the the building of the, the rebuilding of the temple and they rebuild the temple and they pray and they do all the right motions, but it's just not the same. There's no glory. There's no evidence of the presence of God and they knew it. They knew it. They weren't uh, deceived. They knew it wasn't the same experience that their, uh, the few generations before had had. And so when Jesus is born, they're still in this period of we're going through all the same motions, but we know it's not the same. But someone is coming. A savior is coming. They called that person Messiah. A Messiah is coming who's going to bring this kind of rescue. And so when that buzzword savior and then followed up by Messiah is in the ears of the shepherd, that means something to them. It's not just part of the Christmas story. It's not just the, something they put on a frame and hang inside their home. It's not a, a, a tagline on your favorite ornament. For them, it meant something. It meant that we're going to be rescued. We're going to be rescued politically from the Roman Empire and these local leaders. We're going to be rescued spiritually. God is going to return all underneath the authority of the Messiah. But for them, it was a here and now thing. It was a governmental thing. It was an earthly thing. But that was not what God had in mind. He had something much bigger in mind. In fact, when the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in Matthew uh, chapter 1, it says this in verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So Joseph knows you're pregnant and that's not my baby. And so I'm, I'm good and I, I'm righteous, so I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna drag you through the mud. I'm not gonna ruin your reputation already more than it's already been ruined, um, but we're definitely not getting married. We're definitely breaking off this betrothal. 
But after he had considered these things, verse 20, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. So her job is to give birth to a son, and Joseph's responsibility is to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, when they would have said Jesus' name, they would not have said Jesus. They would have said something that sounded like, Yeshua, that's how they would have pronounced it. And Yeshua literally means Yahweh or God saves. So this is Jesus' name. Now, Yeshua wasn't unique to Jesus. There were lots of little Yeshuas running around. Yahweh saves, that's what their name meant. Your name means wonderful flower, right? Jesus' name, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. But for him, it wasn't just a hey, isn't this a cool name? Won't this sound awesome when we do the dedication and they read what the name means? For him, it was literally God saves and saves from what? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, when we think about sin, we think about change in behavior. We think more of this, less of this, and that to us is sin. And honestly, it doesn't really move our heart that much because we just think about it as behavior. And really, we don't put that much stock in our behavior because we know ourselves and we know that one day I might behave like this and another day I might behave like this. And honestly, I just behave however it comes out of me. And if it comes out great, then it's great. And if it comes out bad, then it's bad. But we don't think about it that much because really for most of us, our behavior is outside of our control. So when we start talking about sin and we start thinking behavior immediately, we don't really think about it that much. We just think of it as like, oh yeah, that's stuff I shouldn't do. But sin is actually a huge deal and sin is actually stealing all of the joy that you and I want so bad. In fact, I wanna show you what a big deal it is that it's much um, weightier, it's much bigger, it's much grander than just how you and I behave. Romans chapter five. This is what it says in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sin. So here's the story. Adam and Eve with him, they sin. They reach for that fruit, even though they weren't supposed to reach for that fruit, and it opens the door for sin. And when sin comes in, it turns around and opens the door for death. And if you're just thinking, you know, my physical death, think bigger than that, death, destruction. When sin is let in, destruction, it always follows close behind. And look at what it is. It's an all skate. It's all of us. In this way, death spread to how many men? All men, because all sin. When Adam opened the door for sin, sin comes into the world. Death comes with it. And then you and I, not just victims of Adam and Eve, participants with Adam and Eve. Why? Because all sin. So this is something that has been let in that whenever sin comes in, destruction also comes in. A few weeks ago, I was having lunch uh, with a, a young guy and just a real, just like man's man. Like when you're sitting across from him, you're like, you know, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? You know, because I want to be like this young guy. I mean, he looks like a man. He's got an awesome beard. He's got a nice head of hair, which I always look at. You know, that's, that's obviously a wound for me personally. 
and he's, he's wearing, you know, like just awesome man, like shirt. And it's like, I own that shirt, but somehow when he wears it, he just looks great. And I look like I'm 17, you know I mean? He just, and he's wearing boots and he's pulling them off real nicely. And, and he hunts and he fishes and he's got a real awesome masculine job that he does with his hands. And, and so I'm thinking like, how did this guy get into church? Because he just doesn't seem like a guy all that interested in being a little bit better of a person, honestly. A lot of, a lot of you in here like that, especially a lot of men in here. You're like, I don't come to church just to you to tell me what I need to do more of and what I need to do less of. And so I'm talking with them and, and what I'm trying to get is what made you stop being fulfilled with your life because it seems awesome. I'm jealous of it. I wish I had your life. What made you unfulfilled there that you ran into church, not walk into church, but you literally ran into church. And it was the destruction of his marriage. Because that's what sin yields. That's what happened when Adam and Eve opened the door, destruction comes. Marriages are destroyed. Relationships with children are destroyed. Income is destroyed. Self-confidence is destroyed. Security is destroyed. Destruction comes. So when we think about sin, when we think about joy, when we think about Jesus' birth, we can't think of Jesus as a savior to come and rescue me because I watched too much TV. We don't need to think, I need Jesus to save me because sometimes I gossip. We need to think bigger than that. We need to think Jesus is the Savior because Adam opened a door that he could not shut. And when sin came in, it had a marriage partner and that marriage partner was destruction. So as long as sin is on the loose, destruction is on the loose, which is why when you watch the news, you just wanna turn it off. That's why our news here, the advertisement for watch the news is 14 people died in this thing, in this part of town today. Tune in. That's why the news leads off like that because Adam opened the door to sin and destruction and death came with it. But Jesus is savior and he comes to rescue us out of sin. And that causes us joy. So it's savior and back to Luke chapter two, who is Messiah the Lord. So again, the Messiah, they believe this is God's anointed one who's going to bring all these salvation streams together. It's going to be political salvation. It's going to be religious salvation. It's going to be historical salvation. It's going to be all this salvation he's going to bring together and God's going to reign through this Messiah. And look how he describes the Messiah who is Messiah, the Lord. Now, as I mentioned earlier, you saw on the chart that we put up earlier at this time, there's no one more powerful than Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus was really the first Caesar to be more than just kind of your normal king. He was not the first Caesar, but he was the first one to take it to the place that we really think about it. In fact, his name used to be Octavius. That was his name. And when he was Octavius, uh, he was the heir 
of the Roman throne, but he didn't have the influence of the Roman throne. And so there was all kinds of challenges to him actually becoming the Caesar. And so he got a faction of the Roman empire and he began to wage war on the other factions. And he was ruthless and he was horrible and he had no mercy. He was an awful person. And he eventually uh, not only had the title of Roman Caesar, but he had the authority of Roman Caesar. And he didn't want people to think of him that way. So he changed his name to Augustus. Imagine uh, if you're a manager at your workplace and you don't like how people are viewing you. And so you're like, hey, I used to be Curtis, uh, but now I'm not Curtis anymore. I'm Chris. And people would be going, oh, well, maybe you're a totally different person. That's what he did. He changed his name. Uh, Then he did something really, really subtle. He began to paint his uh, relative, uh, Julius Caesar, who had been a Caesar just before him. Um, He began to paint his uh, relative as a deity. And so we begin to say, Julius Caesar, he was more than just a man. He was more than just a common ruler. He was a god. And so he started painting his relative, Julius Caesar, as a god, which then made him what? A descendant of God. And he started calling himself the son of God. And so not only did he change his name, now he's, he's telling people that he is a deity. So by the time, years and years later, Jesus is born around 4 B.C., He has maximum authority because he's not just a title holder. He's actually worshiped among many parts of the Roman Empire as a God. So when someone is born named Messiah the Lord, that's a big deal. That is a challenge to the Caesar. And it became an anthem for the early Christians. In fact, when the Apostle Paul is telling you and I, and the first reader of the letter of Romans, how we can be saved, how we can see what Jesus has done and apply that to our own life, how we can get in on the work of Jesus, he says in verse 9, if you'll confess with your mouth what? That Jesus is Lord. It became a rallying cry for the first Christians. This is what we believe. We believe that Jesus is Lord. And for us, that's just religious speak. But if you're in the first century, just a few years after Caesar Augustus has begun to uh, paint himself as a God, taking all authority on planet earth, that is a huge statement that Caesar is not Lord, but someone else is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is how the apostle Paul uh, tells the Colossians to treat Jesus as Lord. Colossians chapter three. He says in verse 17, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whatever you do this week in word or deed, so whatever you say or whatever you just do, do in the name of of the Lord Jesus. Again, that, that, that may not mean as much to us, but uh, everywhere they went, they saw Caesar Augustus' name stamped on it, engraved on it. In fact, you remember that story when somebody's trying to challenge Jesus, they bring him a coin and uh, they want to trick Jesus. And so Jesus says, what? Whose name is inscribed uh, on the coin? And it, it's clearly Caesar's. And Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what Caesar and give to God what's God because everywhere they went on their money on buildings even there was there were whole cities named after the Caesar Caesarea Philippi named after Caesar everywhere they go they see uh, Caesar's name stamped on everything and what Paul is saying is 
It's not Caesar is Lord stamped on everything. It's Jesus is Lord stamped on everything that you and I do on what we say and on what we do. And you're thinking, well, there's gotta be some gray area. Well, you just think about it. Is there any gray area between in word, what you say, or in deed, whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if we go back to the angel of the Lord's message to the shepherds, a savior who is Messiah the Lord, good news for great joy. And what it tells us is if we can live out Colossians chapter three, verse 17, whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, that that is the place where you and I will have the most joy. When we can order our life so that everything that we do can have the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus stamped on it, that is the place where you and I will have the most joy. See, we find joy when we see Jesus as Savior and Lord. Look what the shepherds do. They get the message of the angel. And they hurried off, verse 16, and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard just as they had been told. They leave with joy and excitement and they tell everyone. Two questions I'd love for you to write down as we head out this morning. Number one, are the consequences of sin suffocating your joy? Are the consequences of sin suffocating your joy? Because we need a savior. Sin is on the loose and destruction is close behind. We see it everywhere. But we have a savior. We have a rescuer. Where is there destruction in your life right now? Where are the consequences of sin? Maybe not even your sin. Maybe somebody else's sin. Where do you see evidence of destruction? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your soul? Is it in your relationships? Do you see destruction in the shame that you carry, in the loneliness that you feel in the depths of your heart? Do you see destruction in the darkness that you carry over your mind day in and day out? Where do you see destruction? Because we have a savior who can rescue us out of that destruction. All the other religions on earth, what they're gonna say is, yeah, sin is a problem. They call it something different. But sin is a problem. Your sin's a problem. My sin's a problem. The world's sin is a problem. But they're gonna tell us, so do these five things. Do these 10 things. Go to the temple, go to the mosque, do this, do that. Every world religion is gonna tell us what to do to fix the sin problem, to close the door that Adam opened. But you can't close that door once it's open. But Jesus can. The answer to the destruction of sin is not now do this. It's that a savior has been born. Are the consequences of sin suffocating your joy in the last thing? What power will have to be challenged for Jesus to be Lord? What power will have to be challenged for Jesus to be Lord? Herod the Great was challenged. Caesar Augustus was challenged. The Sanhedrin was challenged. Other religious structures challenged. 
probably for most of us, it's not just one thing. If we look at what is it that uh, competes for Lord of our souls, uh, it's probably not just one thing. It's a bunch of different things that wear that crown in our life, depending on the moment. What powers are gonna have to be challenged so that the anthem of the first Christians can become your anthem? Jesus is Lord, because we know that that's good news for great joy. You want joy in your life? Then you need to be able to confess from a place of honesty, in my life, Jesus is Lord. But some powers are gonna have to be challenged. Some thrones are gonna have to be toppled. For some of us, it's the lordship of pride. For others, it's the lordship of insecurity, the lordship of fear, the lordship of darkness, the lordship of loneliness, the lordship of greed, the lordship of gluttony, the lordship of work, the lordship of money, the lordship of family, maybe, the lordship of ease, the lordship of me. What powers will have to be challenged for you to be able to say, Jesus is Lord? We know how to enjoy life. All you have to do is do a Google search and some slideshow will come up with some recommendations. But it's light like a feather and it will blow away at the first gust of trouble. So we wanna trade up today. We want joy that weighs a thousand pounds that stays whether the wind blows hard or the wind blows light. And that comes from good news great joy, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord has been born today in the city of David. Let's pray. God, I pray for everyone right now whose enjoyment has been blown away this week. Just one gust of trouble has come. Even just one rumor of trouble has come and it's just stolen all the peace that this Christmas season is supposed to have according to our cards and our ornaments. So God, I pray for those whose enjoyment has been light like a feather that you would replace it today with a joy that is heavy like a rock. A joy that's anchored to the sure foundation, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. I pray that that exchange would happen when we see you as Savior, when we see you as Lord today. So whatever obstacles of joy are in our hearts right now, I pray you would bring them to mind so we can turn away and turn towards you. We say these simple prayers in the powerful name of Jesus.